Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning. All right, as you take your seats, I'm going to just take a breath because that worship set was so full and it's like the tenderness of the father was palpable. I hope you felt that. I hope you experienced that. It was really significant. I'm so grateful for our worship team. I'm so grateful for our worship pastor, Phil, who has cast such an incredible vision. Um, as a communicator of God's word, it is very significant the worship set that comes before the word. And it just kind of, it tenderizes our hearts. It softens us to be able to receive the truth of God's word. And so I know that's what it does for me. Um, I don't know if that does it for you or not, but it does for me. So um, I see a few new faces. So if you're new, my name is Heidi and I would love to meet you. I love what um, has already been shared this morning that we would love to know your story. Um, I love people. And my job here is to help you connect. So if you feel like you're not connected yet, see me after church and I will do anything in my power to help you feel connected and a part of this church. All right, you get it? Good, okay. Um, in 2024, we're changing things up a bit here at 214. And I personally love change, so this has been really cool for me. Um, a typical message series would run about four to six weeks. Like if we get really aggressive, we go like eight weeks. And the teaching team is like, wow, an eight week series, that's a lot. Um, but we are not doing that this year. This year, we are gonna teach in Genesis for the rest of the year. And I've heard a few people feel like that's a very significant amount of time to hear from one topic. So Phil thinks it's not enough. Um, but I want to, I want you to consider your typical work week. Okay. Show me your hand. If you work full-time, raise your hand. Okay. Show me your hand. If you work part-time and it feels like you work full-time. Okay. So many of you in this room work about 40 hours plus a week, right? Now I would like you to consider the fact that we have only 40 Sundays left in 2024. If you count the Salas, we take Sela Sundays here, which is an intentional pause to give all of our volunteers a true rest. We're emulating what God did where he said, create, now rest. And um, so we have 40 Sundays left. The book of Genesis has 50 chapters. And per, we're not going like chapter by chapter per se, but if you break it down, mom, you're gonna be proud of me. I did some math in this. That's less than one hour of information per chapter of Genesis that we have to spend in Genesis. And if you do any reading in God's word, that does not feel like enough time, in my opinion. When Church 214 first launched, one of the things we heard the Lord say was equip the saints. And if I'm honest, I didn't necessarily feel super excited about that because it felt um, stiff, if you would. I felt like it was maybe something that older people should do. At the time, I thought I was young. And um, I felt like the call on my life would be more exciting than equipping the saints. Um, 
but we just believed that we had a, a passion and a call to instill a passion for God's word and the truth of God's word in a way that was new and fresh. And so we, we talk a lot about spending time in God's word. And that is for a reason, because we want you to understand the importance of it. I think that there's a vast majority of Christians that fall under the label of Christian, but they don't have a clue of the context of what our belief system is because they don't read the word. So you show up at church on Sunday, which is awesome. I encourage you to do that. But then you go home and you do not open the word even one time from Sunday to Sunday. And it's kind of like you're allowing us to just spoon feed you when the Lord wants to prepare this incredible banquet for you, for you to see the truth of his word on your own. So we're going to spend um, this year unpacking the truth of God's word and just starting at the beginning in what he said and what he did. And I think it's going to be really important. Now, I have a free tip for you. If you struggle to read God's word or you struggle to think that it's exciting, I um, would point you to find some really nerdy friends. Okay, so Isaac, my brother-in-law, shared last Sunday, and he was very vulnerable, so this is not new news to you. He said that he is a nerd, and he stood up here, and he talked about the importance of loving God's word, and it hit me that I have become more nerdy over the last decade because of Isaac's influence on my life, and I'm fine with that. I love that. Even this morning, we were standing talking about the word of God, and I just felt this, like, the nerd rise up within me. And I felt really, really good about that. So if you don't love God's word, get yourself some nerdy friends who do love God's word and study it with them. Talk about God's word. Okay, so when you hang out, don't talk about the weather and your crappy job. Talk about the goodness of God's word and what he's saying to you. You get it? Okay, so it's on my bucket list to get a little more um, nerdy in God's word. I think it's coming. But church, I believe the Father is calling us to a broader understanding of his word. And with that comes what I would call like a deep dive into what he actually says. Because I think so many of us have preconceived ideas of what we think the Bible says and some of the highlight stories, you know, Noah, Jonah, but we don't know what's actually in the text and how it all ties together. And so that's what we're going to help you learn this year. Um, I think in today's climate of this world, it's critical that we have strong conviction based on the word of God. Not strong conviction about our own opinion, because a lot of those fail, but strong conviction based on the word of God and then tender, responsive hearts with what the word of God says that we would apply it and let it actually soak in. See, when we spend time in God's word, we learn to hear his voice. That is the number one way I learn to hear God's voice, not just this random voice speaking to me, but spending time understanding what he says so that I can understand what he might say to me on an individual level as well. So his voice will come through every single page and it will create within you the character of his nature, because that's what we need. We need to be nerdy about the Bible and have the nature of Jesus within us. So I want to give you some quick practical tips for studying God's word. I feel like some practical information is so helpful for me, so I feel like maybe it is for you. One thing I implemented a long time ago was about every, I don't know, eight to 10 years, I purchase a new Bible. 
And the reason for this is because I love to take notes and highlight in my Bible, which is so fantastic. But what I found is that as I get towards that eight to 10 year mark, I sort of start to read the Bible and see the notes that I've highlighted or taken, and I don't necessarily see it with any fresh vision. So I started, when we started this church, which was almost 10 years ago, my husband bought me a new Bible, and it's now chock full of all the notes that God's done here at Church 214, which is awesome. And now I'm entering that season where it's time to buy a new Bible so that I can see it with fresh vision. I would recommend you get a study Bible. Now, for me personally, my nerdy brother-in-law, Isaac, got me interested in this book. This is the Archaeological Study Bible. It's a big, it's a big Bible. And the really cool thing about this Bible is it's not necessarily one you would throw in your bag and tote around and like whip it out if you're going to evangelize someone on the street. But it is really good for understanding what happens below the surface of just reading the print. Okay, and it pulls in the historical information. And it's been really, really cool for me and for our teaching team to use this to dive in and to study it. So that's kind of a, a pro tip for you there. And then another thing is I would encourage you to use the cross references that are in the notes of the Bible. So as you're reading God's word, there's these little notations. It might be like an R and you go down and you look in the notes and it says R and it'll show you where in the Bible the cross references are. Now we're gonna throw up this really cool image. When I saw this image, it looks like a rainbow. For those of you on the podcast, it looks like we're looking at a rainbow. But this is an example of the cross references that are in the word of God. Okay, so we know the Bible to be broken down into the Old Testament and the New Testament, or as some of us say here, the First and Second Testament. And so it shows us each book of the Bible and where this information is crossed into the other testaments. And so it shows every single word of God is living and active and moving and so significant for you right now. And that's what a study Bible can help you find out. If you don't have the gift of nerd like Isaac does, this can help you with that. Um, I felt that last week Isaac did a fantastic job of setting the framework for what the Genesis series is going to be as a whole. And if you missed that, I would say go listen to the podcast The podcast this week. It was super foundational, and it was important for you to understand where we're going with this because we want you to be informed. I feel that so often the Father wants to give us completely new framework for us to have an understanding of his word and where he's going. And I think that's what the Lord is doing right now in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. So see, very often what's happening in the physical realm of the world around you is a reflection of what's happening in the spiritual realm. Here's what I mean by that. My family is currently in a very unexpected season. We um, are literally in the framing phase of having a home built. We've got an image there. There it is. This was taken on Friday. My framers were out there in the snow building my home. And it's so interesting because I was never that girl who dreamt of building a home. In fact, I was the girl that was like, I'm never building a home. I'll renovate homes, but I'm never going to build a home. And the reason I said that is because I'd seen a handful of people around me who had built homes, and I didn't feel like their marriages thrived during <laughs> the building process. And marriage is such a gift, and I didn't want to just willingly jump into the 
pit of building a home and make my marriage crappy. So I was like, I'm never building a home. We'll just renovate. And so um, in 2020, we purchased a really incredible home with great bones, and we renovated it. During COVID, we renovated it, and we made our dream home. And we used it for God's glory, and it was so significant. And I'm not a 30-year or 10-year kind of plan person, but I made a 30-year plan. And I was like, honey, we are staying in this home. This is where I am going to have grandchildren, and this is where I'm going to stay. I'm staying here. So we made it about 10% into my plan, um, about three years, so more math, mom. I wasn't the child in school that thrived at math, but I'm feeling very good about myself right now. 10% into my 30-year plan, and the Lord threw this curveball at us. And he was like, hey, I'm working on reframing the blueprints of your life. And I was like, wow, this is not what I expected. This was not on my plan. And the Lord began to fulfill some of the deepest desires of our hearts, which my husband's was to own land where he and our sons can hunt together. And mine has been to be neighbors with my sister and to raise our children together. And I was beginning to think that that was probably never going to happen because we were both in our homes that were separate and it felt like we were settled. And then God just changed it up on us. And it was so interesting to watch the journey begin to unfold. That picture was my children in our new hayfield at our land that we've now been on for about seven months seven-ish months, something like that. God moved us into a piece of land that was only what he could write, only a story he could write. And I'm now neighbors. Well, actually, currently, I'm not neighbors with my sister. God physically moved me into their home and my husband and our three children to be housemates while our home is being built. And it's been awesome. I don't know. Chris and Heather are going on vacation today without any of us, so I don't know how they feel about it, but it's been really good from my perspective. Um, but the point of that I want to tell you is that I've had a good laugh over the many, many things in my life that I told God I will never do that. Here's a few examples. I said, I will never homeschool. Nothing against homeschooling. I was homeschooled. I had an incredible education. I actually quite enjoyed it. I got to travel a lot, so that checked off my travel bucket list. But I did not think I was cut out to be a homeschool mom. And so I said, I will never homeschool. And we're 10 years into homeschooling our three children. So there's that. I said, I will never start another church. Believe it or not, pastors also experience hurt from people that come to church. And so I said, I am never, ever, 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 ever going to start another church. And here we are, 10 years into having started this another church. Sometimes you guys are painful. I just, sometimes you are. Most of the time you're awesome. Sometimes you're painful. But I also said I would never build a house. You saw how that's going. We're in a 10-month home build process. I was for sure, for sure going to marry Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome. I'd never even thought about dating a blonde, and I'm 20 years into married Mr. Tall, Blonde, and Handsome. <laughs> and I would have it no other way. It's awesome. 
But it took me 40 years to learn that when I tell God I will never do something, I am absolutely going to be doing that thing. (laughs) Your words have power. The point of the lesson is that our Father God loves us enough to not stick to our plans. Rather, he molds our heart so that we endorse the good plans that he has for us. So through Genesis, you're going to see God's faithfulness in your personal story. You're going to see some themes coming out in our study of Genesis this next year. Theme number one is subdue chaos. Theme number two, this is your story. I think so often we can read these stories and we can think that they were just for people of old. And in fact, the father's saying, no, this is your story. And number three, we're going to talk about God's faithfulness, the father's faithfulness. So in the next 40 weeks, I want to invite you into a journey of allowing Jesus to draw the blueprints of your plan. My blueprints would look very different than they look right now had I stuck to my own plan. But the Father is so faithful. I find it very interesting that we have 40 weeks left of Sundays that we're going to meet. And 40 weeks is a full-term pregnancy. I believe that God is creating good out of the fruit in your life this next year, in these next 40 weeks. It's going to be significant. Okay, let's talk about point number one, which is subdue chaos. Genesis 1 starting in verse 27, says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So the first instructions human beings get is be fruitful and multiply and subdue chaos. If you're a parent, you know sometimes those go hand in hand. We multiply and then we work on the chaos that comes with it, right? God knew what he was telling us to do. Recently, though, I read this report that said a vast majority of young adults are opting out of having children. They didn't even talk about marriage. They just are opting out of having children. And it was for the most ridiculous reasons, things like self-care and mental health and personal betterment. I'm telling you, nothing makes you better than having a child. They will refine you in the most significant way. It's really incredible. But the report was absolute garbage. It was anti-God and it was anti-God's word because God says, be fruitful and multiply. And this report was saying, do not multiply. So encouraging young adults to not have children is, I believe, a fundamental moral decay of America. That as we encourage the young adults to to pursue their own careers and their own lives and their own wants in place of getting married and having children, according to God's instruction, this country will crumble because we are going against the word of God. But when I was asked to preach in Genesis, I was assigned the portion. And when they said, you're going to be preaching kind of an overview of Genesis, I immediately heard the Lord say, be fruitful and multiply. And I thought, man, that's very intriguing to me because one of the primary ways the Lord has been speaking to me prophetically is about people having children. 
Now to be clear, I'm out of the baby making phase. So um, this is gonna have to rest on all of you. So I've done my part. But I really, truly, I heard the Spirit say, all joking aside, I heard him say that there are marriages and there are babies coming through this church family. Okay? So fair warning, if you're not wanting to make any babies, you better not have sex. And I don't want to hear you say that I did not warn you because here's your warning. I'm sorry if anyone hasn't had that talk with their kids yet. I just realized that. That's awkward. Okay, so we're going to get back to the, the goodness of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to testify to you of the goodness of God up in this house, okay? So here we go. The word testimony in Hebrew is a deuce. And it means do it again with the same power and authority. Okay, so what that means is when we give testimony of the things that God has done, we're partnering with God to say, hey, God, you remember this thing you did where we were fruitful and we multiplied? We're going to testify about that because we want you to do it again with the same power and the same authority for this set of people. Okay, so let me testify. On March 26, 2023, a woman in this church testified at a collective gathering. And she shared, it was very emotional. She shared that over the course of her life through some extreme trauma, she was told she would probably never bear children. And she said, but I am gonna believe that the Lord is gonna heal me and that my husband and I will bear children. And so we said, great, let's pray for you. So we laid hands on her, we prayed over her. And a handful of days later, I would have to look specifically at the text message, but a handful of days later, the Holy Spirit showed me the, the term um, full term by the end of the year. And she put her face in my mind. The, the Lord, he put his, her face in my mind. And so I just text her that prophecy. Now I want to pause here. Prophecy does not have to be weird. Okay? Like I did not call down any glitter or fire from heaven. I just sent a text message saying like full term by the end of the year or something like that. Shortly after, her husband and her found out that they were pregnant with a miracle baby. And her due date was given to her of 12-30-23. So like 24 hours to spare. <laughs> I was like, Phew. But their baby girl was born healthy and whole. She is a stunning, spitting image of her mama. So beautiful. I'm so curious to see what the Lord does with that little woman. And then many of you have heard this, but I'm going to say it again because it's so worthy of giving God glory. It's so significant in my family and in our life. But for 10 years, we have been interceding, and many of you have interceded for my brother and his wife, Matthew and Jenna. And we've been interceding for them to have children. They've been married for 17 years, and they have yet to conceived children. And um, it was a very emotional battle that they had to walk through. And it is just such an incredible God thing to announce to you that Jenna is due with their baby girl in just seven weeks from right now. And that baby girl is, she's perfectly healthy. And we're, we're so thankful for the goodness of God in that story. But these are the miracles that our God does. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And he fully plans on fulfilling 
his own word in your life. If after this service, if you and your spouse have been desiring children, or maybe you're single and you're desiring to adopt, I would love to pray for you. Okay, so just come up here and find me. I'll be up here somewhere. I would love to pray over you that you would have children coming into your family. Okay, let's jump back to Genesis. So the Garden of Eden was created in perfect order. And God asked Adam and Eve, he said, do what I did, create and then subdue it. See, he asked human beings to partner with him in his creation, not because he needed us to. He had proven that he could do it very well on his own. He'd created Adam from the dust. He'd created Eve from a rib. I think it's why you guys like ribs so much. And we women are like, we'll pass. Um, you guys love ribs. Like, what do you want to have for dinner? Ribs? But it, like the first woman came from a rib of a man. And then God breathed his life into those human beings. So God didn't need us to partner with him, but he wanted us to because he wanted to multiply his creativity. So he says, partner with me. So Genesis in the entire Bible is filled with stories of God's people who were anointed to create and then subdue the chaos that comes after it. Some did and some did not. And over this next year, we're gonna be talking about all of those stories and it's gonna be fantastic. Noah is one example. We're going to talk about him super quickly. You've probably heard of Noah. Genesis chapter 6, in verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of the hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Okay, I want to pause here. It is deeply sad that the Father God regretted creating mankind. That is so humbling, and it, it's so sad when you think about it. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so this is so cool. The cross-reference, you know, those, the image, like the rainbow thing, pointed me to Hebrews 11.7, which says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So chaos was ruling the earth after God created it. And yet God called Noah to help subdue it. And so Noah, being a prophet of God, was obedient. And he went to his family and he was like, here's the plan. We got to build this boat. He went to his neighbors. He's like, here's the plan. Rain is coming. You need to get right with Jesus. Or, well, Jesus wasn't on the scene yet. You need to get right with the Father. And his neighbors, it says his family believed the word of the Lord and his neighbors mocked him. His neighbors mocked him, and the result of their mocking a righteous man of God in the word of the Lord was that they experienced total death, total annihilation of the entire human race other than Noah and his family. That was the consequence of mocking God and mocking a prophet of God. And I just want to encourage you, no one mocks God and gets away with it, ever ever. God is such a just God. He's so loving, but he will not be mocked. 
But the result of Noah's godliness was that the entire human race was saved from destruction because of his obedience. Let's look briefly at Abraham. Abraham's first name was Abram. God later renamed him. And we're going to look more at Abraham's life, but I want to look here briefly at this. Abram truly had to rival with the chaos that came from creating a family line. Listen to this. He and his wife, Sarai, so Sarai was later renamed Sarah. They could not have children. So Sarai had this bright idea that she would send her maidservant to hang out with Abraham and create a child. And Abraham followed that thought process. So the maidservant, Hagar, created an heir to Abram. And Ishmael was born to that maidservant. Now, no surprise here, some chaos broke out among the women after that moment. They struggled to get along. Genesis 17 starting in verse 1, says that when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and he said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will, become, you will greatly increase your number. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham." For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Anytime God repeats himself, it's like you need to pay attention because he's trying to make the point stick. So he says again, I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, the following is not on the screen, but if you're following along, you can flip to Genesis chapter 21, where it talks about the Lord visiting Sarai. By this point, she's been renamed, and the Lord is calling her Sarah now. Genesis 21 says the Lord visited Sarah and told her she would have a son. And God was faithful to his promise. Sarah conceived a son with Abraham, and Isaac was born. And the, so verse 8 says, The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned, which is hysterical, but that's for another time. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing, and she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Okay, we're going to pause here really quickly because one thing God always does for me when he's having me preach is he points out these very specific details in my personal life for me to track with him in. Okay, I'm a visual learner and... Um, this is so cool. So my kids and I have been studying this exact portion of the Bible in our history lessons. And we had learned, we knew this, but Abraham's story is from like the 1922 before Christ time period. Okay, so in that time frame. And in the footnotes of Abraham and Sarah's story, I noticed this thing mentioned that wouldn't have made any sense to me except for the fact that we'd been studying this in our history book. 
There is such a person, there was such a person as someone called Hammurabi. And in my footnote, it mentioned the Hammurabi Code. Again, this would have meant nothing to me a handful of months ago. Hammurabi lived 130 years after Abraham, which got my attention because I thought, wait a minute, I know from history that Hammurabi came after Abraham. So why would the Bible be mentioning the Hammurabi Code and a law of God or a law of, of society if he was 100 years, 130-ish years after Abraham? And it was so cool because I was able to go look at the cross-reference, go back to the history book that I'd been studying and see God begin to weave these details. So in the history book, we learned that in 1901, archaeologists discovered this seven-foot-high pillar, so like this tall, a pillar that was created by this man named Hammurabi. He was a leader in Babylon. And it had 300 laws that he, as the ruler, expected the people of Babylon to follow and to implement in their lives. Most of them were really good laws. He, he talked about having standards in fair trading, standards in family disputes. I don't know if anyone's ever struggled with that, but he had some laws about it. Land deals, military service, loans and debts. Hammurabi also worked on fair taxation and even minimum wage, which is interesting because we still use that law today with minimum wage. Crazy. But it's thought that perhaps one of the laws was written by Hammurabi because he'd heard the story of Ishmael and Isaac. The law, the code of Hammurabi stated that a son of a handmaiden had a legal claim to his father's property. Sound familiar? Right? Sarah, Sarah wanted Ishmael sent away so that he would not be the heir of Isaac's inheritance. And 130 years later, a code is written about a handmaiden having legal claim to the father's property, a son of a handmaiden. This is the point. He had likely heard the story of Ishmael and Isaac passed down through the generations. And your story, too, can influence culture centuries from now. You have no idea what God is working on. Okay, back to verse 11. And this thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son, meaning having to send his son away. But God said to Abraham, do not, or be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says for you to do, do as she tells you. For, I, for the, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he took bread and skin and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and he sent her away. And she departed and she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. See, she was afraid he was going to die because they were out of water. Then she went and she sat down opposed to him a great deal off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of this child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, and he said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. 
up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So God was faithful to himself when he promised Abraham, I will make great nations out of your sons. He was faithful to Abraham and he was faithful to Ishmael. Abraham was faithful to God too though because he had instructions to subdue chaos even though it did not fit what he thought was best for his family. He obeyed. Okay, so one quick final example. Remembering the image of the cross reference. As I was preparing to preach, I kept having this story of a woman named Hannah come to my mind. And it came over and over and over again, to the point where I was almost distracted by the story, and I had a hard time focusing on what I wanted to preach about. And I kept kind of pushing it off, thinking I only was thinking about it because I'd recently preached to collective about it. And I thought, that's just fresh in my mind. So I was pushing it off, and I was sensing over and over, share it today, share it today, share it today. So I made kind of like a small note in my notes, like on the side that I could maybe ignore. Um, but I just had this sense, like, share it today. So yesterday, I was going over my message, and I just said, God, this does not seem like it fits. Like, we're studying Genesis, and you're bringing a story to me in 1 Samuel, and that doesn't really feel cohesive to me. And he said, I do not misspeak. I am faithful throughout my word. Look at the reference where you studied Abraham. So I opened my handy-dandy study Bible, and in Genesis 21, which is the story of Abraham that I just told you, the footnote says, see 1 Samuel 2, 21. And I knew exactly what it was. When I turned to 1 Samuel 2, 21, it is the story of Hannah. And I thought, okay. So this story is of a faithful woman who deeply loved the Lord, but she had no children. And it was her greatest heart's desire to bear children. And so she prayed and she said, God, if you give me a baby, I will commit him back to you, to your service for the rest of his life. And because of her prayer, God answered and he gave her a baby and she named him Samuel. And she stayed true to her word. She nursed him. And then when he was weaned, which was probably three or four or five years old in that time frame, she took him to serve the priest Eli at the tabernacle. And Samuel was raised the rest of his life in the tabernacle, serving the ways of the Lord. So Hannah remained faithful to her word. But he was serving this devoted high priest, Eli. And Eli was this incredible man of God. He served for 40 years as judge of Israel. In fact, he was the first of the priestly descent that also was called to regulate the affairs of people. So he quite literally was in charge of helping subdue chaos. But 1 Samuel 2.12 says that the sons of Eli were corrupt and they did not know the Lord. 
So Eli had these sons that worked at the tabernacle with Samuel, but they were corrupt and did not know the Lord. But the word says that Samuel was not influenced by them. The Lord protected him. So a quick side note, if you're a parent or you're a future parent, do not hesitate to pray bad influences out of your kids' lives because their souls are too precious to be poorly influenced by corrupt people. Samuel was so sensitive to the Lord that he heard him speak out loud in the middle of the night and he thought it was the priest Eli. So three times he goes to Eli, I'm here, I'm here. And finally Eli realizes, oh, young child, you're hearing the voice of the Lord. Go back and tell the Lord, speak, your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back to bed and the Lord speaks to him and he begins to download this incredibly heavy prophetic message that Samuel is instructed to give to Eli the next morning. And the scripture says Eli was, or Samuel was so afraid to give the word that the next morning he did not raise his shades, but he stayed in his room. He was terrified to give the word of the Lord. But Eli was a good leader and he knew the Lord had spoken. So he came to Samuel and he said, Samuel, what's the word of the Lord? And Eli had to, Samuel had to share with Eli that the word of the Lord was because of the chaos of his sons that they were not subduing, that they would suffer death, that Eli and his sons and his family line would suffer death. This is why it is so important that we fulfill God's instruction, multiply and subdue chaos. I think in society today, we're seeing people that are multiplying and then they're letting their children run wild with no instruction. We're not opening the word of God to instruct our children. And that is why we have so much chaos in the world right now. Our job as men and women of God, as the fathers and mothers spiritually is to subdue chaos. So Eli multiplied and he led faithfully for 40 years, but the chaos of his sons resulted in the death of the entire family line. The word says even his daughter-in-law died. So there will be chaos in the days of head, but there is hope. 1 John 4, 4 says, fear not. He who is in you is so much greater than the chaos. And John 14, 27 says, and his peace will abide in you through it all. Just a couple weeks ago, Lisa Bevere posted on her social media, whatever chaos is swirling within you, God is ready to speak light and life over you. Point number two, we're going to rush on. This is your story. You're going to see this come out in the Genesis teaching this year. Through Genesis, we are going to discover how God feels about you. How your story was in mind as he created we're going to talk about his deep fatherly love for you. And I believe Heather's going to build on this next week. But the understanding of God's love for us is like framework that's going up right now for your story. See, it's so important that you understand the father's love because what God is building, you have to have a confidence that you are loved by the father. We are participants in the story of God's plan. We are not observers. See, the point of Genesis is that God's, God's fatherly love for us is the very point of his creation. 
Last week, Isaac said this, and I loved it. It's sticking in my mind. The purpose of Genesis is to understand that God's love for you is unmatched. And immediately sitting right there, I heard in the spirit, I heard him say, some of you are struggling with the idea of God's love for you because you have father wounds that are not dealt with or parent wounds that are not dealt with. And so you've kept God at a distance because your wounds are not healed. If you are not healed of parent wounds, the Father wants to heal you today, right now. See, I believe there is a time and a place for biblical counseling. Hear my heart. The world is going to tell you to run to your therapist to sort your junk out. But do you know what the word tells you? The word tells you you have a savior who heals you. Run to the word of God. Let him heal you. God promised in Exodus 15, 26, he said, I am the Lord who heals you. But the quick backstory of that promise came with instructions. Okay, so this is point three of our overarching Genesis series, faithfulness. In Exodus 15, Moses is leading the people out of the miracle of the Red Sea. So they've all just experienced firsthand. They haven't passed it down through generation to generation. They've literally physically walked through the Red Sea on miraculously dry ground. They wander into the wilderness. They're there three days, and they've not come upon a water source. This is a big deal. This sounds familiar, right? Hagar, Ishmael, no water source. And they start to panic. And they come upon what's called an oasis, which you think would be amazing. And they go to drink of the water, and it's completely bitter. They cannot drink it. And they start to freak out. And so they go to Moses. The scripture says they begin to complain to Moses. Moses, what are we going to do? Why did you bring us out of the land of Egypt? We had water and food. And now we're just here to die? So they're freaking out. And Moses does what any good leader would do. He's like, I need to consult with the father about this. I have no idea. So he goes to the Lord. and He says, Lord, what do I do? The people need water. And he shows him a piece of wood. And he says, throw this wood into the water. It will make it purified. So he throws the wood into the water. The water becomes pure. They're able to drink and be sustained for the next journey that God's taking them on. The next journey is that God leads them through the wilderness some more, and they end up at this incredible place filled with palm trees and fresh springs. In fact, the word says 12 springs and palm trees. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? As I close today, I believe someone needs to apply this hope to your life right now. Some of you are drinking from bitter water and you're complaining about it. God, I thought you had good in store for me. The water is bitter. And you're complaining to your friends and your leaders and the fruit of your life that's coming out of your story is not honoring to the Savior. You need to get up, just like the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, get up. Look, I have a fresh well for you. It's right here. The water is not bitter. You need to look to the one who gives you living water, who renews your hope, 
who speaks a better word. If you stay, this is a warning, if you stay in this bitter place that you're in right now, the next season of your life is not going to be able to come. Those fresh springs and palm trees, you're going to be stuck in the bitter place. God was testing the Israelites' faithfulness to him. It was a test. See, the promise was healing, but the instruction was, if you listen carefully to my voice and do what is right in my sight, then you will be healed. God's faithfulness is a primary theme in Genesis and throughout the entire word of God. Faithfulness is quickly losing merit in our culture today. Would you agree? Yes. Faithfulness is not promoted, but in the word, faithfulness is fundamental, foundational. In Genesis, we are reminded that he is faithful through all of creation. He was faithful to Abraham's questioning about his sons. The father is faithful in your obedience and your disobedience. He's faithful in our detours. He is so faithful in our desires, both right and wrong. I heard Phil in our teaching team meeting say a couple weeks ago, he said, in his presence, our wrong desires are sanctified. And I thought, what great hope, because some of you are struggling with wrong desires, but in God's presence, you could be sanctified. God is faithful to himself. He is faithful to his plan of creation, which is why when he wiped us out through the flood of Noah, he gave hope through Noah's family line. He is faithful to his creation. So as we study Genesis, we're going to understand the faithfulness of the Father. If we keep his faithfulness in mind, it will produce joy in your life. I promise you. Even if the circumstances are bleak or scary or even chaotic, it will produce joy. So as we look at Genesis this year, look for these themes. Subdue chaos. This is your story and faithfulness, both the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of you to the Father. So you might feel half-hearted about God's plans for you. You might be looking at the blueprint of your life and it feels like he's moving in everyone else's story and yours is just stuck or not what you had planned. I believe that this year, yet in the 40 weeks left of 2024, the 40 Sundays that we're here gathered together, that God is going to show that he's faithful in your story. He might restructure the blueprints that you have planned out for yourself. Remember, I was only 10% into my plan when he gave me a rerouting, rerouting. Here's the new plan. So God's blueprints for your story may not look like you imagined, but I promise you they are good plans. In 2023, the day of my birthday, it was prophesied over me by an unexpected source. Someone texted me, and this person said, your 40th year will be the fulfillment of your greatest heart's desires. And I thought, that does not seem necessary because I'm married to Mr. Tall, Blonde, and Handsome. I have three healthy children. I am in my dream home. I love my church. My family is healthy. I don't know that I have any more dreams. I'd forgotten that God rooted this tiny dream in my heart of being neighbors with my sister. And he said, hey, that dream, I'm bringing that up to the surface. You ready? Here we go. See, God was faithful to his word over me and to my story. He is literally framing a house for me right now. 
because of his faithfulness. Some of you today, I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they begin to move, I'm going to ask you to move too if any of this applies to you. It's not scary up here. Something significant happens when you move up here. But some of you need to commit the blueprints of your plan to the sovereignty of the Father. You need to understand that his word does not return void. If the Father has promised it to you and you are walking in unity with him, his promises are yes and amen. He will not leave your dreams buried. His faithfulness will produce joy. So some of you need to submit your plans about your children, those that are already born and those that are yet to be born. Some of you need to submit your plans about your job, one that you're in or one that you're supposed to go to. Some of you need to submit your plans about your marriage, a marriage that is healthy or a marriage that is broken. The Lord has good plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And some of you need to just simply submit your blueprints to God about your life story. And if you fall into any of those categories, I want you to either get on your feet right now or come up front. Either way, whatever you need to do. Because the Father is looking to see whose hearts are turned towards him. And I, for one, don't want to be overlooked. I want to be like, God, these are the blueprints that I know you have given for me. But I want more than my own plan. I want your blueprints. So God, if you need to take a red marker and you need to mark up the plans of my blueprint, I submit to you. I submit these plans to you. I submit my job to you. I submit my provision to you. I submit what I thought was coming through my family line as my inheritance. I submit it to you, Jesus, because you are my portion. You are my strength. You are my provider. Anyone in this place that has the faith, even if it's as small as a mustard seed, to believe that the Father God can work in the stories up here at this altar, come up and start praying for them. Maybe you've never come up and helped us pray for somebody before. Usually, I am praying over people, but I'm a bit busy right now. So if you feel compelled to come pray for someone and you believe in Jesus and you are a child of his, I want you to move right now and come lay your hands on these people. And I want you and your faith to help build their faith. Because they're saying like, God, I want your plans. And we're saying, we've got you, girl. We have got you, brother. We're going to hold your arms up. So as the father is writing these plans and some of you are still in your seat and that's okay, but if you need to be up here praying for someone or submitting your plans, there's still time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are faithful to the generations. You say in your word that the word faithful is written on your thigh, and so we know that it is true. I pray right now for every set of plans that's being set down right now at this altar that you would write their story. 
God, we praise you for the reframing that you're doing in our minds. You are reframing our, our brains to be able to comprehend your word in a new way, not in a way that's old or we already think is, um, is what is truth, but in a way that is, is honoring to you in a way that opens our eyes to understand the truth of who you are more clearly and more accurately. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that there would be a multiplication um, of children and babies coming through this church family. Father, if there is any man or woman up here that has the desire to be a father and a mother, God, that you would give them the deep desires of their heart. We thank you for the testimony of prophecy that says, God, what you did for the babies that came before, we know you can do again. So I pray that you would open wombs, allow for men and women to be fruitful and to multiply. In Jesus' name, God, I thank you for the marriages that are coming even this year in 2024. People are getting married up in this place, and God is so excited about it, and so are we, because the world says that marriage isn't necessary, but we say, and God says, that marriage is one of the greatest gifts you will ever experience here on earth. And so partner with him. Jesus, we pray for a, a godly anointing over the singles in this church, from the youngest to the oldest, those that desire marriage. Would you bring them together? And also, God, would you heal marriages that are broken? In the mighty name of Jesus, marriages that for decades have been separated and divided. Right now, in the supernatural, Lord Jesus, would you bring a healing anointing to fall upon the hearts of men and women to draw them back to each other for your glory, for the unity of the body of Christ. Jesus, for those who are worried about a job and finances, I pray right now that you would speak a better word. And then in the place of fear and questioning, you say, I have got this child. I am the God who provides clean water with a piece of wood. I am the God that provides a well in the desert that a young boy will experience life. I can handle your paycheck. This is not a big deal for me. So just submit to me. Jesus, we love you. Heavenly Father, your name is holy, and we trust that you have good plans in store. Will you do everything that you have in mind here in this place? We are with you, heart and soul. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.